Well, today is our last uh, week in our series, Backstory, and we started this on Easter Sunday as we began looking at all of the life change that took place as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And everyone that Jesus encountered in some way or another had some kind of a backstory, some kind of a history, some kind of thing that maybe sometimes we would think would disqualify them. But we realize as we've looked through all of these stories that um, that's not the case. That all of these people God used in miraculous ways and sometimes even redeemed some of the bad stuff that happened in their past and used it for good. Because we know that's what God does. God takes things that were meant for evil and transforms them and uses them for good. And so today we're concluding our series and kind of how we've been going through is we've been looking at these different stories and it all um, kind of falls into sequence with the events that took place after Easter. Because after Easter, Jesus, you know, commanded people in Matthew 18, he said, this is what's going to happen next. I will go, I will leave, but you will continue the message and you'll proclaim it. Uh, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this was a pretty bold statement because the people in the nation of Israel, who are, you know, these followers of Christ who are all Jewish, were used to the message being contained within their people group. And in some ways disassociated with, and many times just like did not in any way talk with people that were outside of the Jewish faith. And so this was a big transition and challenging, and we've seen some of those stories. And, and the first couple stories that we looked at were, were really followers of Jesus. It was Mary, we looked at Easter Sunday, and she was a follower of Jesus, and she was there. And Peter, who was one of the disciples, we looked at. And those were people that were, you know, kind of in the circle with Jesus, around Jesus when he was on earth. But we see, as the story continues, as we've been going through the book of Acts, we see it starting to expand to other groups of people. And we see in the story of a Jewish convert, a man from Africa, the Ethiopian eunuch, that, you know, he's, he's still somebody who is a Jewish follower, but it's starting to branch out into other groups. And we saw last week, it even begins to branch out more. Another uh, devout Jew, but Paul is called by God to begin to proclaim this message to bigger groups. And today as we conclude, we're going to see even another step further as the message goes to somebody who is not a converted Jew, who is actually a Roman. Uh, in the person of Cornelius. And so what's going on is God is taking the church and really fulfilling what he said would take place. He's taking the church from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that's pretty amazing. And the thing that's really amazing about that is we still do that today. We're still a part of that today. Uh, it's, you know, the, the message came from these people and spread out and is even reaching the far edges of the metro area, almost to stinking Kansas out here, um, as God calls us to be the people that continue to proclaim the message to new places that emerge uh, all these years later. And so um, that is kind of where we've gone. So let's, let's look at the story of Cornelius 
um, in Acts chapter 10. And it's an interesting story with lots of parts and dynamics. It's the entire chapter of Acts chapter 10. We're not going to read it all, but um, you're going to have to follow along with me because there's lots of details in this story. Let's read the first eight verses of Acts chapter 10. It says this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. I want to just pause right there for a second because this is kind of the backstory of Cornelius. That's a mouthful. Um, it's the backstory of Cornelius. And it, we get a lot of information about him right here. Is it saying he is from Caesarea? He is also... Um, so he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He is also a centurion in the Italian regiment. That sounds very official, doesn't it? I don't know a lot about the Italian regiment around uh, 33 um, AD. However, he was in charge of a, at least 100 people. And he was in charge. That's what a centurion was. Is he was in charge of 100 people, highly regarded, a very important position in the Roman army. And then it says some interesting other things about his personal character. Is it says his family, he and his family were devout. They were God-fearing. So they really were seeking God. They really wanted to know God and they were doing like doing the right things like praying as it says and being generous. So it says that if there's somebody who is in need, their hearts were soft and they would give to other people and they were praying regularly and seeking God in an amazing way. And then there's one other thing that's later on in the verses that I want to point out that tells us a little more about um, Cornelius. In verse 22, it talks about how Cornelius was highly respected amongst the Jewish people. Obviously, he was, you know, he's a Roman authority. These are the people that were involved in the death of Jesus and are many times kind of lording over the Jewish people. But he was highly respected. He got along well with the Jewish people. He, it seems like he treated them fair. And he was a God-fearer, a, a general just kind of God-fearer. So these are all the things that we learn about him. A Gentile, a centurion, a God-fearing person, and his whole family was God-fearing, a person that was generous, a person of prayer, and a person who was very well respected. This is somebody that would like go to the Air Force Academy and get high marks and be the valedictorian and be the guy that everybody would look up to. He was a pillar in his community. A really good guy. So let's continue to read. It says in verse four, 3, One day, about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When an angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. 
He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So we'll pause there and we'll, get, we'll continue the story in a moment. But uh, what happens is very interesting. We understand that he is a God-fearing person, but he doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know the story about Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't have a personal relationship with the risen Son of God. And he is just somebody that is, has been praying and seeking and looking and searching and doing the right things to try to follow God. And I don't know if you've ever met somebody like this. It's an interesting person. It's, it's somebody that you look at your life, their life and you say, wow. They are such a good-hearted person. They're somebody that loves other people. There's somebody that really cares. There's somebody that really gets it and really wants to do the right thing. But on the other hand, they, they don't have a relationship with, with God. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe they're searching and seeking. It's, it's a category of, of people that... Some people have even called, it's like almost Christian. Somebody that is like, kind of like almost living the virtues that Jesus taught without even knowing Jesus. And I've encountered people like this before, and, so, and, and it's a hard dynamic to kind of wrap your head around. Somebody, sometimes, and a lot of the stories that we've looked at, it's like we meet people that are at rock bottom. And they're going through all of this horrible stuff and their life is a disaster. And finally, they look at the error of their ways and they say, I need help and God transforms them. Those are the stories we talk about a lot, right? But his backstory is totally different. His backstory is somebody that like is doing the right things. And so it's, it's in some way, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when you meet somebody that is just living life really well. It's like really living up to their potential. It's really making a difference. Everything is together. It's like really a beautiful and inspiring thing. But in some ways, it's a little bit of a sad thing. And I'll tell you why. It's a sad thing because it's almost as if they're like right there and nothing really has to change but the reality is if you just live life completely on your own without God we still don't have God in our life we still need the power of God to forgive we still need God to intervene because we still are all sinners in need of God's salvation and so in some ways, it's, it's kind of a sad thing. And it's a, it's a troubling and difficult thing to sometimes navigate and figure out because you look at somebody that like, has everything together and seems to be doing all the right things and say, well, they're okay. We don't need to help them out. However, we know the human condition is that we're all sinners and sin, the consequence of sin is death. And so it's almost as if you, like, know what you're supposed to do and, like, you're, you're, you're like, taking medicine for the, the ailments of society. You're doing the right things. But if you take the wrong medicine, you're still not going to live. You're still not going to be healed. It's almost like doing everything right but, but, 
just not having that little peace. Because it's, it's through God that we find forgiveness and healing and wholeness. And so it's like, it's, it's hard, and it's hard to navigate and figure out exactly. But it's almost like they just need to say, you know what, you're doing, doing everything right, but you just, just take this medicine. And this will, this will cure the thing that ails us all. And it's not a matter of like exclusivity or like being mean or unfair. It's a matter of kind of right or wrong. It's a matter of like, do you, are you following what is true? What will truly give you eternal life and salvation and hope? Because you can have all the right intentions, but if you just have the wrong remedy, you still have a problem. And it's a complicated, difficult thing where we, as Christian people, fortunately, are ne not going to have to sit in the judgment seat of God and decide the destiny of people. That's not our role. But it is our role to say everyone needs the hope of Jesus Christ. Everyone needs this remedy for sin because all of us fall short of the glory of God. And so it's a beautiful thing in a way, but it's almost a sad thing. It's kind of like doing everything right, but just missing that peace. And so it's a curious case. But we see in the scripture, and something that we need to take heart and we need to take hope in, is that God sees people like this. And God sees the earnest prayers and sincere seeking of others. And the scripture tells us, if you seek God, you will find God. And his seeking and his prayers and his faithfulness, um, something miraculous takes place and God sees it. And it's no mistake, I believe, that God shows up to this man's life, in this man's life. And an angel appears and says, and, and gives him this vision that we see. And he faithfully immediately responds and says, I need to meet this man, Peter. This is the answer to these prayers that I've been asking for. And that is what takes place. Um, so there's lots of things that, kind of like two dynamics that are going on in the middle of this story. It's definitely a story about Cornelius, but it's also a story about Peter. And we know Peter, the disciple of Jesus, that was, you know, the, really the centerpiece of a lot of the stories in the Bible. He is the one that God says that this Cornelius needs to meet. But God is not just doing something in Cornelius. He's doing something in Peter's life as well. And so what's happening with Peter is he's starting to realize and understand the true message that Jesus proclaimed when he left. That this message would go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is a tough message for someone who is a devout Jew. It's tough. Because people who are, did not grow up Jewish don't eat the same way that Jewish people do. They don't follow all the same history and practices. They don't know the same stories that the Jewish people do. They don't know about Moses and all the stuff that preceded that's so central and such an important part of his life and his faith. And so we see in Acts chapter 9 that simultaneously when God is coming to Cornelius... God is also speaking to Peter at the same time. 
And it's amazing how God works these things out. And so God is speaking to Peter and is begin revealing to Peter that this is a new day and a new time. And some of the things that we did in the past are not going to, it's not going to continue and it's not going to work for the people who are of other cultures. And Peter has this vision, and I'm not going to read it, but go back later and read it if you have time. In Acts chapter 9, uh, or Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 22, where he has this vision to eat food that is unclean in the Old Testament. That it says, don't eat this. And he's like, what in the world, God, are you telling me to do? And Peter has this phrase when he sees this vision, and he has this phrase that he says, surely not, Lord, in verse 14. He's kind of saying, I would never do that. I would never compromise uh, what, what I've been taught and what I know. And so Peter says, surely not, Lord. And it's interesting because Peter is using a phrase that he used three times in the Bible. That there was a time when um, Jesus was talking to the disciples and he gathered them around and he said, I'm going to be killed. And he taught, and this was in Matthew 16, and he said, I am going to be killed. He's telling his disciples that. And what, you know what Peter says? Surely not, Lord. He's like, that, no, that can't be. That's not the way this story is going to play out. Surely not, Lord. And he has to kind of be convinced of that. Later on in scripture, in John 13, Jesus is going around and he's washing the disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter, and you know what Peter says? Surely not, Lord. He says the same thing. He says, you should not be washing my feet. I should be washing yours. This doesn't make any sense. And Jesus is like, you know, I've come to serve. I've come to serve. And this is what it means to be a leader in my kingdom. And he's like, surely not. And he has to be convinced then. And here, for a third time in the scripture, he sees his vision and he's like, surely not, Lord. This doesn't make sense. And God is doing something in his life at the same time he's doing something in Cornelius' life. And God is starting to move and open up the kingdom and the message to the entire world. And so Peter, as he is praying and as he is contemplating this, he has these visitors, these people that are sent from Cornelius. They show up at his house. They show up and meet him. And Peter goes with them to Caesarea, and when he shows up, there is a crowd waiting. It is Cornelius, his family, and Cornelius, as the influential leader in the community that he is, gathered a bunch of people, and it says there was a crowd there. And, and Peter is just mesmerized by this. It's a huge group and a church full of Gentiles waiting to hear the message about Jesus Christ. And it, it changes his entire perspective. All of a sudden, his eyes are opened, and he says this. He says in Acts 10, 28, he says, It's against the law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. He's saying, this has been our practice. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And he talks about, he says, I realize now that God does not show favoritism. 
between Jew and Gentile. And he's saying he has this moment where he's showing up to deliver the message. And his introduction to the message is his own transformation story that God is doing and working out. And you know what? It's amazing, and I can attest to it as somebody that stands in front of people and delivers messages, is that there's no question whatsoever that there's times when you go and you're following God and you're going to like help and support and do something to share with somebody else. And undoubtedly, every time God speaks into us when we do that, and he does it here in an amazing way. And he shows Peter, look at this crowd of people that are ready. To hear this message and, and get after it. And so Peter goes into a sermon, and it's a great one for us to look at, is he talks, and he, this is kind of the pieces of this, the, the message he proclaims um, in Acts 10, kind of 37 through 43. He says, he talks about how John the Baptist prepared the way for baptism. And then he says, Jesus proclaimed that there would be the Holy Spirit that would come and baptize us. John baptized with water, but Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then he says that Jesus preached to us. We heard him. We walked with him. We were witnesses. He healed people. We saw God working in and through his life. He talks about that in verse 38 and 39. And then it says Jesus was killed. And then um, there, he will return to judge. And he will, he, it is through him that you may receive forgiveness of sins. And he goes through this message and he proclaims this and he kind of gives us a great little picture of a little paragraph message to say, this is why, uh, you know, we follow Jesus. And here's what happens. It says in verse 39, says this, we are witnesses of everything he did in the cross or in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on the cross. But God raised him up from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but witnesses, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the only one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking the words, these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of them their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So, Peter preaches this message, and as soon as the message is proclaimed, these people have a response, and there's a similar type of situation that takes place as did on Pentecost. Um, in Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, we see 
that God's spirit is physically demonstrated through this this supernatural gift of speaking in tongues. And in Acts 2, it talks about how other people heard the languages that they were like accustomed to, even though, you know, it was just a miraculous spreading of the gospel message to different languages. And the Bible all throughout Acts in different places talks about this particular like demonstration of God's of the Holy Spirit. That is a theological discussion for another day that I'm not going to get into. However, what we see and what right here is Peter sees God showing up to people that are Gentiles. That it's, it's gone beyond us. And all the people with Peter see it too. And they see this miraculous thing take place. And they're convinced God has done something different and new, and we need to get on board, and we need to recognize that. And they're transformed. And it is, it's, it's amazing that through this, they like say, there's nothing we can do. We, they need to be baptized just like us, and they go, and they're baptized in water. And they are really, this is the first real Gentile converts in the Bible. And we see from here on out that the message spreads like wildfire all over to other places. So it's an incredible, amazing story. And God, you know, puts all these pieces together. Peter shares that he's a witness and the Gentiles have this miraculous response and they're baptized. And there's two messages, I think, going on. And both of them, you know, we can reflect on both. Two really important principles that we have to think about uh, after looking at this story. Of course, there's a message to those people who are outside the church. Okay? Those people who are like the Cornelius in this world. There's a message, and we all need to hear this. There's a message that it's, that this is, this is a hard truth, but I think we have to wrestle with this. That a God-fearing man, it's not complete. The story, that story is not enough. That that God-fearing man, the person who is doing and seeming to do all the right things and life is not completely a mess, it's not enough. And And without Jesus, we still are on our own. We still are walking a life that is without the God of the universe, intervention, help, forgiveness, and salvation. And so these people, in this moment, the missing piece comes together, and they are transformed. And God does a miraculous work in and through them. And so it's, it's something that we need to recognize, is that there's people all around us, and this should break our hearts, that are seeking and searching and looking for God And just are waiting for that one little missing piece. And you know what? God has gone before us. And God is working. And God is speaking. And God is moving in people's lives. And I believe 100% that people who are seeking and searching out God, God will send someone to them like he did in this story. God will send someone to them to say, you know what? There's, There's something else. That Jesus rose from the dead, and you can't just do it on your own. I think there's people out there that are just like, 
they're working really, really hard to do all the right things, and maybe even they're tired and weary and don't know why it's not all coming together, and maybe they're looking around and they're just searching and trying to figure out. And I've met so many of these people. And the church has to be ready and proclaim to them, you know what, you are doing so many wonderful things. But let me tell you about the God of the universe that can put, this, that can put that final piece to the puzzle together. Let me tell you about this. What an incredible thing that we have to realize and know is that God is working and moving in people all around us. It is something that, like, like maybe sometimes we're afraid because, you know, out there, like, maybe people would reject if we tell them about Jesus. I think there's people just desperately waiting for someone to show up and just say, you know what, there's more. And I've, I have sat down and coffee with people like this. I have had little conversations on the side with people like this. And it's pretty amazing how like these conversations can turn quickly because they're so open and quick. And I say, you know what? Like, the God of the universe, if there's a God out there, we better figure out who he is. And that's what I've spent my life searching and trying to do. And I believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he's my salvation. And I've seen people with a line just like that, like Peter's really, really simple message. And all of a sudden they're like, this is what I've been waiting to hear. This is what I've been waiting and seeking and searching for. Now, don't get me wrong. I, again, am not the judge of other people's salvation. And many, many people come to God in all kinds of different ways. And we see that all throughout the Bible. We see a man hanging on the cross next to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus says, I will. You're, you will be remembered. There's all kinds of ways and formats and, and, and like pictures of people responding to the grace of God. But I still believe that people have to respond to the grace of God. People have to respond to that offer that God has proclaimed and said, you know, will you humble yourself to me? Will you, will you submit yourself to me? And there's lots and lots of ways that that can take place. And we could probably, you know, not exactly quantify it and say, yes, like, that's a good one, that's a bad one. And that's, that shouldn't be what we focus on. But what we do need to remember is people do need God. People need God. Good-hearted people that have their life together still need God. People that are at their, uh, a terrible moment in time and are at the rock bottom need God. But everybody needs God. God is the giver of life. God is the one that saves. And, and that's something we, we, we need to proclaim to people. That God, the God-fearing man, that's not everything. And here's another message to those inside the church that we need to remember. Those of us who sometimes... Like, you know, we, we have crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. So sometimes there can, be a, there can be a tendency towards an arrogancy. That those inside the church have to remember and realize that all over out there, there's God-fears that are seeking God. And we have to remember that. That 
that God is moving and working and doing things. And our eyes have to be opened to those that need to know God. We need to be praying and, 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 and seeking and searching and hoping that that moment would come up. That God would say, you know what? God would trust us to say, those God-fearing people out there that are looking for God, I would be somebody that they maybe could talk to. Maybe God would send them to me. And we need to be open and ready and welcome people in. And as we do our Easter egg hunts and we do our community events and as we interact with people, we need to realize all around us are people who are just, who are just right there waiting and ready to like find that missing piece and find that hope and find that purpose and find a relationship with the God of the universe. And there's those people all over. And God has called us to proclaim that. And sometimes that takes us out of our like normal routines or comfort zone. Sometimes it pushes us to change maybe kind of the way that we think about things and like show up to a group of Gentiles gathered in Rome. And that's where God moves and does amazing things in and through us. It's an incredible story. And it gives us incredible hope. Because sometimes maybe we look at the world or we look around us and we think, like, nobody cares anymore. And that's not true. God is working and God is moving. And he's called us to come alongside and just point out to people, guess what? There's a God that loves you. And let me tell you about him. And we can be a part of doing that in this world. So... We can all reflect on both the conversion story of Cornelius, but also the conversion story in a way of Peter. As he is transformed, as he listens and follows God. We're going to take a moment and pray. And during this time, I wanted to invite you to think about maybe people in your own circle of influence. And as you bow and pray and reflect... There's possibly somebody that might be coming to mind. Someone that it doesn't seem like they're desperate. But maybe they've been searching and seeking for that missing piece. And you can be a witness to what Jesus Christ has done. I'm also aware of that there's many times people among us that are like Cornelius. And sometimes maybe there's someone in this room that falls into the category of saying, I'm trying to do all the right things. But there's also a point in time where we have to say, God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I want to follow you. So I hope today we can learn from both the story of Cornelius and the story of Peter. And we can ask ourselves, how are we a part of what 
Jesus called us to do to proclaim this message to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the Denver metro area. So God, I pray today that you would help me be aware of the people around me that are just just waiting and seeking and searching for something and they just they need somebody to show up and just point them in the right direction or just help them out or say a prayer. God help me to be aware. And God, I pray for all the Cornelius figures around our community. In some ways, God, we're inspired by them. They care about others. They're helping others out. They're loving their neighbors. But they still desperately need a relationship with the creator of the universe. I invite you right now just to take your own moments and to reflect on these stories, to offer your own prayers to God, and maybe offer your own prayer about someone that you know that kind of fits into one of these categories. And ask God to help you and give you strength to share his message of hope with the people that you come in contact with.